This is the Intego Mac Podcast. The voice of Mac security. For Thursday, January 27th, 2022. This week's Intego Mac Podcast security headlines include Dazzle Spy, Safari, Vulnerability, Malware. Nuff said? Don't worry, we'll have more. There's quite a bit of money to be made from Apple's bug bounty program. One recipient blabs on the payout. Time for procrastinators to update to iOS 15 as security updates dry up for earlier systems. Scammers are preying on prayers. Prayer apps, that is. And we've got another AirTags to the Rescue adventure. Now, here are the hosts of the Indigo Mac podcast. Veteran Mac journalist Kirk McElhern and Indigo's chief security analyst, Josh Long. Good morning, Josh. How are you today? I'm doing well. How are you, Kirk? I'm doing just fine. We've got so much interesting news this week. We've got malware with a snazzy name. We've got Apple paying a bug bounty. And we're going to look at the enemy in your pocket or how you really can't trust what's on your phone. Where do we start? Dazzle Spy? Yeah, we should probably start with Dazzle Spy. We'll have an article up on the Mac Security blog where you can learn a lot more about this new malware. And when we say new malware, there should be a little asterisk next to this because technically um, this was spreading in November. But this was just written up for the first time. Um, And this seems to be related to something that Google wrote about back in November. I don't think we ever mentioned it on the podcast, um, but they talked about how there was a Safari vulnerability that was being exploited. And Google reported it to Apple. They have their Project Zero program where they actively seek and try to find vulnerabilities and then report them to whoever is in charge of patching those things. Um, And so Google did some interesting research and found some malware that they were calling CDDS. Um, Not a very catchy name. The idea behind this is that people who have similar interests are going to go to a particular type of site. And in this particular case, it seems like people who are pro-democracy in Hong Kong were being targeted because that's where this watering hole uh, attack was set up on some sites that were purportedly pro-democracy for Hong Kong. I've never heard the term watering hole before. Is this new? Um, no, we, we've we've seen those kind of attacks before. Um, they're often associated with nation-state attacks. For example, a government entity is trying to infect dissidents, maybe, or or others that um, they they want to get some more insight into that human network, right? They want to they want to find out more about these people. Sometimes they'll do that with planting spyware in a place that they're likely to be visiting, and that nobody else is really very likely to be visiting. Okay. And so that seems to be what happened here. There were a couple of domains that were registered um, around the same time. There was also a a domain of, again, a pro-Hong Kong democracy radio station that appears to have been compromised around that time and was used in part of these attacks. So there were several different components. One of them included a malicious JavaScript file. There was also a uh, Mac binary, so a, a Mac application essentially, that interestingly, given the timing, it's kind of interesting that it was only an x86, meaning an Intel Mac binary. Now, that's not to say it wouldn't run on an M1-based Mac because of Rosetta, this technology that allows you to run older you know, Intel-only 
apps, but kind of weird that they didn't just compile it for both. Um, that's normally most malware that we see now is designed to natively run on both Intel and M1 processors, but they didn't do that for some reason. Does this malware do anything special that we've not seen before or what? Well, the main thing that it does is it, it likes to collect information about the users that are infected, including some sensitive information. So it can look at, at your keychain and try to steal passwords that you've stored on your computer. It wants to know your username, what Wi-Fi network you're connected to, your IP address. It can also um, look for, for files on your computer. And again, it can potentially send those back to uh, the command and control server so there's a lot of um, interesting things that this can do, the, the same kind of things that you would normally expect um, sophisticated spyware to do. Now, me thinking of a sort of Tom Cruise situation, collecting Wi-Fi networks and IP addresses is a way of finding people who congregate in certain locations. And something run by a nation state looking for activists, it, that's the kind of thing they would want to do, isn't it? Right. And and I think we've mentioned before that an IP address, although it just looks like a string of numbers, it can potentially reveal a lot about you. In some cases, at the very least, it can often identify your neighborhood. For example, I know with a lot of uh, internet service providers here in the US, they typically use neighborhood-based IP address distribution schemes. So when you automatically get an IP address by connecting to the internet... Um, they give you usually an IP address based on that geographic location, that neighborhood where you are. So it may differ every time that you reconnect to the network, but it's always going to be identifying um, roughly where you are in the world. Okay. We've learned that Apple paid a bug bounty of more than 100,000 pounds to a student who hijacked the iPhone camera and then did the same with the camera on the Mac. Yeah, this is kind of interesting because a lot of times we don't really hear much about bug bounty payouts. Um, and uh, there's been a lot of complaints about um, Apple's bug bounty programs. But this sounds like it was a case where somebody submitted a bug and actually got a pretty decent payout. And the research that they that they did and the vulnerability they found was evidently based on uh, a previously discovered vulnerability, too. Now, that makes me think that Apple should have discovered it if they found – if the vulnerability in iOS had been discovered, why didn't they check in macOS to see if the same vulnerability existed there? Well, that's a good question, and and it, it seems like this was probably a little bit different. Uh, most of the time, I think Apple does do that. They frequently patch things across multiple operating systems whenever there's the same exact vulnerability. You'll notice if you look at all the details in the Apple Security Updates page for each new version of macOS, iOS, even tvOS, uh, all the Apple operating systems typically have some vulnerabilities that they patch across the board, across all all the operating systems. So it kind of depends on what Apple's research team uh, has discovered that it may impact, right? And maybe this was something they missed. I don't know. But um, in any case, good job to Ryan Pickering, who reported this to Apple and got a pretty good payout. Well, you're talking about Apple patching bugs across operating systems, but we discovered that they're no longer going to offer security updates for iOS 14. And this comes as a bit of a surprise because we just checked before the show on the iOS 15 
features page, and we talked about this on the podcast back before iOS 15 came out, Apple says, software updates. iOS may now offer a choice between two software update versions in the settings app. You can update to the latest version of iOS 15 as soon as it's released for the latest features and most complete set of security updates, or continue on iOS 14 and still get important security updates. Yet Apple has announced that iOS 14 will no longer get security updates anymore. Yes, that is a bit strange, isn't it? So Apple's iOS 15 page is telling people you can still stay on iOS 14 and get important security updates, period. That's what they say. Ars Technica wrote about how people had been noticing, I guess it was originally 9to5Mac that that wrote this up and and others, who were noticing that iOS 14.8.1 If you hadn't yet updated to it, it was no longer being offered to you if you were, say, for example, on iOS 14.8 or an earlier version of iOS 14. Now, previously, it had been offering you both versions. It it offered you iOS 14.8.1 by default, and then down at the bottom, and sometimes, in some cases, you had to scroll down to see that iOS 15 also was available. And now it's not doing that anymore. Now it just pushes iOS 15 to you if you are on an older version of iOS 14. And then, so as Ars Technica was looking into this, um, they published a, a, a piece about this and Apple responded to them, which is interesting, and pointed to a support page, this obscure support page that nobody's ever seen on their website, published back in September, that mentions that iOS 14 would receive updates for, quote, a period of time, unquote. Well, I wouldn't call it an obscure page that no one's ever seen. If you're searching for update your iPhone, iPad, or iPod Touch, you'll have seen the page. But the problem is that on the main iOS 15 features page, that period of time is not mentioned. Exactly. And and that's my point, is that unless you're specifically looking to how to update your phone, you won't ever come across the support page. However, you're very likely to come across the iOS 15 features page because it's prominently accessible on the site. It's one of those things where, once again, Apple's done some weird things with its communication. First of all, uh, you know, as we've mentioned before, there probably was never really a good reason in this particular case why Apple was still continuing to release iOS 14 updates for any period of time. Because, again, there was no, like, compatibility reason. Up until now, there there hadn't been any reason besides a few, you know, really critical in the wild security updates for Apple to be releasing any patches for previous iOS versions. And then with starting with iOS 15 coming out, now they're, they seem to be starting this practice where they're going to be patching the previous OS, but why? If there's no compatibility reason, and if you're just going to cut them off after like four months, I, I don't really see the point. Well, Another thing is a period of time. How long is a period of time? And and what everyone assumed it was that this was going to be a year, right? I mean... Right, until the next major iOS version. But a period of time is, well, it's the length of a piece of string, isn't it? It's as long as you want it to be. <laughs> it's very big. So it, yeah. in many ways, Apple is being disingenuous here, having essentially sold a feature. Now, we didn't have time before the show to go back to the WWDC presentation where they talked about this, but I'm pretty sure it sounded, or what we understood was that it was going to be through the life of iOS 15, and that maybe at the end of iOS 15, 
if you wanted to go to iOS 16 or if you wanted to go from 14 to 15, you'd have that option to be one year behind. In any case, if you were counting on staying on iOS 14 now, it's just downright dangerous. Well, right, because now you're not getting all the latest security updates that you can now only get if you are on the latest version of iOS 15. Shame on Apple. It, it's very confusing messaging, and, and and it's it's different from their practice that they've been doing with macOS, where uh, you know you get all the updates for the current and some updates for the two previous, but those uh, those update cycles go through the next major version of macOS, and they're not doing that randomly, like they just decided to do something different and not really clearly express that to people with iOS. Every now and then, Apple announces a percentage of devices that are on the newest operating system. And they recently announced that 72% of devices introduced in the last four years on iOS 15. This is a lot lower than last year. It's not the exact same day of the year when they gave this figure, but it was 81% last year in December. That's a a difference of 9%. I wonder how many of these are people who were staying on iOS 14. Our speculation was it was big companies with MDM software or, you know, fleets of, you know, large numbers of iOS devices. And maybe this is affecting the adoption of iOS 15 overall. Yeah, that could be. Again, um, a lot of times when a company will prevent updates across their whole fleet, it's often because they're concerned about compatibility. And again, that wasn't the case here, which is kind of odd. I really have a feeling that a lot of the reason why people tended to stay back on iOS 14 is just because, for one, it was not pushed heavily on them to update to 15. Normally, the operating system will sort of just tell you, hey, the latest version is this, you need to update. And for iOS 14, for a short period of time, it was just giving you 14 updates by default, and you had to seek out 15. So I think that's really the major thing. The other thing is that a lot of people may have just felt like, well, you know, maybe because Apple's not pushing 15 on me, maybe there's a reason why I should be staying back on iOS 14. They didn't really know why, but they just kind of were like, well, I know iOS 14's working, and I'm just going to stick with it. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, we're going to take a break. When we come back, we're going to look at some interesting ways that apps on your phone are collecting data about you. Protecting your online security and privacy has never been more important than it is today. Intego has been proudly protecting Mac users since 1997, and our latest Mac protection suite includes the tools you need to stay protected in 2022. Intego's Mac Premium Bundle X9 includes Virus Barrier, the world's best Mac anti-malware protection. Net Barrier, for powerful inbound and outbound firewall security. Personal Backup will keep your important files safe from ransomware. And much more to help protect, secure, and organize your Mac. Best of all, it's compatible with macOS Monterey and the latest Apple Silicon Macs. Download the free trial of Mac Premium Bundle X9 from Intego.com today. When you're ready to buy, Intego Mac Podcast listeners can get a special discount by using the link in this episode's show notes at podcast.intego.com. That's podcast.intego.com. And click on this episode to find the special discount link exclusively for Intego Mac Podcast listeners. Intego, world-class protection and utility software for Mac users. Made by the Mac security experts.
Okay, before we get into the end of In Your Pocket, a brief mention about iOS 15.3 and macOS 12.2, which aren't yet released, but which, of course, could be released just after we finish recording this podcast. Right. We mentioned last week that there's a Safari vulnerability, you could call it, where your history can leak. <laughs> Somebody can find out where you've been on, on the web, and in some cases, even find out some personal information about you. And that's uh, still not patched, <laughs> at least as of when we're recording this on on Wednesday morning. Last Thursday, uh, which was the day that um, our last episode went up and a day after we recorded it, Apple did release release candidates for macOS 12.2 and iOS 15.3. But that was Thursday of last week, and we're almost an entire week later and they still haven't released them to the public. So I guess the takeaway is until this is patched, until you can get the latest versions of these operating systems, don't use Safari if you're using Mac OS. And I guess if you're on iOS, since technically other browsers use the Safari engine on iOS, maybe just try to avoid browsing while you're on your phone. Hope for the best. Okay, we found an interesting story in BuzzFeed News. Nothing sacred. These apps reserve the right to sell your prayers. Prominent venture capitalists are flocking to invest in Christian worship apps. The apps say users' prayers are a business asset. This one had me a bit gobsmacked. Basically, there is a type of app that I'm not familiar with, which is a prayer app. And you type into the prayer app what you want. You're kind of sending a text message to God and hoping he's going to listen to you. But these apps are collecting data in many ways, and, and one of them supplements the information it gets from you, including your physical location, the links you click on, the text of your posts, with information that include your gender, age, religious affiliation, ethnicity, marital status, et cetera, et cetera. Now, I'm just thinking, I'm, I'm not one familiar with the Christian church very much, but I do remember when I was young, I went to a school that was attached to a church. And while we didn't do confession, I've seen people do confession. I've seen it in the movies, right? Guy goes in and confesses that he's a murderer or whatever. And if people are typing this stuff out on their phones, and then someone is actually collecting this data and analyzing it, and imagine... Uh, someone is praying, oh, help me, my daughter is pregnant. And then the next day you start seeing ads for baby carriages and baby clothes and morning after pills. This is just a very strange story here. Yeah, it's something that is is good to be aware of. And regardless of whether you are using this type of app or not, just the it's good to be aware that a lot of apps tend to collect information about you. So remember to check out the privacy nutrition labels, as Apple calls them, in the App Store. And if possible, you know, especially if it's something where you might be recording sensitive information of any kind, you probably really should read the whole privacy policy, or at least try to skim it and see what you can can understand from it. Because if there's any major red flags as you're going through it, like, oh my gosh, like they admit that they're going to be selling some information of mine to third parties, and there's no way to opt out of it, that's kind of concerning. Well, most people aren't going to bother to do that. Most people, and here's the problem. Well, most people will trust pretty much any app that they get. And most people are more likely to trust apps from Apple's iOS app store than, say, Google's Android app store, because Apple has told them that their apps are better and they're safer and that they're, you know, protecting people. But the problem here is 
this is just intentionally collecting the kind of data that is among the most personal. When people pray, they're praying because they have difficulties or they have desires that they want fulfilled. It's not the same as just tweeting or posting on Facebook. You know, in these apps, you're not going to take a picture of your lunch and post it, right? It's a different kind of interaction. And before the show, you were saying, well, there's probably a lot of diary apps. And yes, there are journaling and diary apps. One of them, the the best one on the Mac and iOS is called Day One. And it's been around for many years. And at one point, they announced that they were no longer storing user data on iCloud, but using their own servers. And this created a bit of kerfuffle because people were using this to record things they did. And some of them, maybe it was their meals and their trips and they take a photo every day or something, but others might be recording uh, extremely sensitive information. So I, I think the takeaway is no matter what the app pretends to be doing, you just can't trust that your data is not going to be collected, sold, and then used against you. Right. You have to be very careful. What exactly that means for you is going to vary depending on the person. You know, if you're somebody who's very trusting of Apple, maybe you use a a note, you know, in the Apple Notes app that um, you, you can um, protect them so that uh, you have to go through an extra step in order to be able to get into them, either with a password or biometrics or things like that. Apple does make that you know kind of thing available to you if you just want to write something down and and know that it's not going to just leak everywhere. So th that's one possibility. Um, but whatever apps you're, you choose to use, um, make sure that you trust the developer and that as much as possible that you understand what they are planning to do with your data. But if I'm a practicing Christian and I find an app for Christians that is for prayer, I would just be inclined to trust the developer because they're going to be acting like Christians, aren't they? Um. <laughs> Maybe not. <laughs> that was a rhetorical <laughs> right. question. Trust no one, right? I mean, it's yes. it's it's the old um, expression made popular by the X-Files, right? Trust no one. Okay, so speaking of iCloud, there have been some interesting iCloud unreliabilities, let's say. One of our friends, Craig Grinnell, who's written for the Intego Max Security blog a few times, was talking about this on Twitter, and he wrote an article on his blog, which we'll link to, the number of things in iCloud sync that aren't working. And a lot of these are showing error message, request failed with HTTP status code 503, which is basically service unavailable, indicating iCloud servers aren't responding. Then a bunch of developers came out and talked about this, and more and more developers are saying, well, we just can't trust our apps to use iCloud anymore because it's just not syncing reliably. Now, I had a situation in recent weeks, I decided I wanted to use Apple's Notes app as a read later repository, right? It's easy to take an article from a website on iOS or on the Mac, use the share sheet and put it into Notes. And I was doing this for a while and then I was noticing that certain things that I'd put in my iPhone weren't showing up on my Mac. And I eventually gave up and moved back to Bear, which is an app I use to collect a whole lot of things. But there was no way you couldn't force a sync. You couldn't know why things were failing. Uh, iCloud has had a lot of problems. And has iCloud ever really worked reliably from end to end? I, I, you know, we've been doing this for years since back. Was iTools the first and then MobileMe and then all the various iterations? It's never really worked reliably, has it? You know, interestingly, I don't 
recall really having any problems that I was able to trace directly to, you know, to iCloud sync. So I'm curious about this. And I, I wonder if maybe there's something that Apple has done recently that's like making this problem worse or making it more noticeable and prominent. I wonder also if this could have may it could be something related to features that have recently been introduced or maybe locations of certain Apple servers. You know, we know that in recent years, um, Apple has started to put servers in countries where the country requires that data from users who live in that country remain in that country, China being one of the most notable of those. When you're talking about server infrastructure, things get very complicated, and there's a lot of things that we just don't know and, and, and can't know about exactly what goes on in the iCloud cloud, right? It's complicated, I'm sure. Okay, like me, you've been using Dropbox since forever. And maybe you use other services. I also use OneDrive. Have you ever lost a file? Have you ever had problems syncing with any of those services? Now, I know there's a difference here because you're syncing files. And with iCloud, you're syncing bits of data. There may be a file in the background, but it's actually a database for an app that's syncing the bits of data. It's not like each node is a discrete file. It's part of a package. It's part of a database. So it's a different thing. I don't know of any situation where I have had problems syncing with Dropbox or OneDrive. Yeah, not not anything like too significant. I, I have had, I guess, conflict before with Dropbox where um, it, it you know it gets confused and thinks that some version of a file might be more. Uh, updated than another, and it'll make duplicates. I've had some weird things like that, but other than that, I've never really like lost data that I can think of. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Okay. We we like to talk about air tags. It's the gift that keeps on giving. And the Washington Post has an article: a woman put an air tag in one of her boxes and caught her mover lying about his location. So. This makes sense, right? If you're worried about your possessions and you're moving, why not put an air tag in a box? You know, cost 25 bucks for the air tag, couldn't hurt. She was moving from Fort Carson, Colorado to Fort Drum, New York. This was a military family. And at one point, her stuff seemed to have gone missing. And she contacted the moving company and they promised that the items would be delivered the next day. And the driver called and said he had just picked them up in Colorado, would drop them off on Monday. Aha, she went to the Find My App on her iPhone and found that he was in Pennsylvania about four hours away. He was shacking up with his girlfriend, saying he was in Colorado, while their stuff was traveling around someplace and wasn't being delivered on time. And there's a lot of things to unpack here. First of all, great idea. If you're going to move, put an air tag in your stuff, especially a long distance move. Last time I moved, it was about six miles. And so, you know, nothing could get lost. The second thing, though, is indirectly the driver's being tracked. And I was thinking, well, what if the driver's married and his boss is his brother-in-law and the boss finds out that he was someplace else where he wasn't supposed to? I mean, there are all sorts of scenarios that could happen. It's certainly not illegal to track your own possessions, but you are actually tracking someone else at the same time. I think that's an interesting, there's a paradox here, isn't there? Yeah. Um, also, one one thing that just comes to mind is you're talking about you're tracking someone else also. If you had an AirTag like in a box somewhere, that 
mover may not necessarily have an alert pop up on their phone informing them that there's an air tag near them, right? Because um, they may be just far enough away that it may not be triggering that alert. Yeah. Now, it's good that you mention that because since AirTags were released, we've talked about this many times, we've had AirTags in my household. I have one for my keys. My partner has one for her house keys and one for the car key that she keeps separately. Just the other day, we went out to a supermarket and I got an alert on my phone, your current location can be seen by the owner of this AirTag. And I clicked continue and I saw a little map of where he we had been on this shopping trip. And I wondered, like, we go out fairly often in the car to the supermarket and other places, and I never had this before. How come she didn't get an alert? Because I've always, always got an AirTag with my keys, and I found this very strange. And I wonder if there was some sort of an update to the AirTag's firmware or to the Find My app that did something new. But again, why did I get this and my partner didn't get this? Right. One would assume that probably both of you would have gotten the firmware updates on on your AirTags that you're using with your accounts. Yeah. So um, to to reiterate, you've got AirTags that are that you have on your stuff. She's got AirTags that she's got on her stuff. You you're using separate Apple IDs, separate Apple accounts. Yep. Yep. And when you're traveling, when you were recently traveling with her, you got an alert that her AirTag was traveling with you. Exactly. But she did not get an alert. She did not get an alert. Exactly. <laughs> Your AirTag was traveling with her. Yeah. Yeah, That that's pretty strange. And I would guess that most of the time, like, you know, you, you're frequently at home together, right? So your AirTags are with you. It just, it, that seems really strange. And it's weird how it was just one way. I don't know what explains that. Maybe um, some of those devices didn't get firmware updates and others did? Yeah. I don't know. One thing I know that is that early on, Apple did say that you would get an alert if an AirTag is moving with you, not if it's stationary. So the fact that we're in the same house, I mean, I keep my keys in one room, her keys are in a different room. The fact that we're in the same house, we're not moving, I can imagine there wouldn't be an alert. In fact, it kind of makes sense, though I would want to know if there's another AirTag that I don't know about, and I would have to approve it at some point. Well, this AirTag is in the same location as you and has been here often. Do you know whose it is? And that should be something that you should be able to approve. And and what's interesting is the the map shows the exact movements that we made from, you know, stopping at a couple of places and coming back. And it just doesn't seem to make sense. So, AirTags, the gift that keeps on giving, and the the tracker that you can use in so many ways. I'll link to my article on the Indigo Mac Security blog where I made a list of, I think, 25 different things you can do with AirTags. And also, since we're bringing this up, if you've seen strange things with AirTags recently, um, please write in podcast at Intigo.com and tell us your story. We'd love to, to hear any uh, interesting things that you've seen with AirTags recently. Okay, that's it for this week. I totally expect those new Apple operating systems to come out as soon as we stop recording. So until next week, Josh, stay secure. All right, stay secure. Thanks for listening to the Intego Mac Podcast, the voice of Mac security, with your hosts, Kirk McElhern and Josh Long. To get every weekly episode, be sure to follow us in Apple Podcasts or subscribe in your favorite podcast app. And if you can, leave a rating, a like, or a review. Links to topics and information mentioned in the podcast can be found in the show notes for the episode at podcast.intego.com. The Intego website is also where to find details on the full line of Intego security and utility software, intego.com.